How are you all doing today? This uh, message I've got uh, to, uh, to share with you today, uh, I feel like God actually placed it in my heart like a number of months ago. A number of months ago, uh, you know how you, you can read the Bible and you can read a story that you've, you've read a number of times, you, like for me, even taught it in kids' church and stuff like that, and then all of a sudden one part of it is just like, smacks you in the face and you're just like, oh my gosh. And so that's what happened to me, and that's where this, this uh, happened for me personally, and that's where this message uh, has come out of. But uh, first of all, I'm going to start with a, a, the wee, um, a wee personal story um, that is uh, from the inside of uh, being on, in ministry, is that um, the tension of every person that works in the church, but probably not just if you work in the church, but probably if you just do a lot of serving, if you do a lot of stuff, you know, Actually, probably it's not even exclusive to that. But anyway, is that uh, you've got to work on not having a solely a working relationship with God. Uh, you've, got to, you've got to be diligent to not just um, pray and seek. Because, you know, we pray and we seek God for everything that we do within, within work. You, you pray and you seek God for what you're going to share. You pray and you seek God for which way you're supposed to go, what you're supposed to do. You rely on the Holy Spirit day in, day out. I mean, hopefully we all are, to be fair. But you, we rely on the Holy Spirit day in, day out for the things that we're doing for work. So we rely on the Holy Spirit for all of our doing. It's a, it's a discipline and, a, and, a, and an art to be relying on the Holy Spirit also for our being. So you've got to be careful to rely on the... We've got to be diligent and careful to rely also on the Holy Spirit for our, for our being, our personal time. Moments with God for us, moments in the Bible for us not just to then preach, although sometimes the things that happen to us are preachable. As Tom says, that'll preach. Um, so a few months ago, I was standing up here and I was worshipping God as in church, and it just, it really hit me, and I was just like, God, you actually just feel really far away. Like, I can hear your voice when I've got to come up and do something here or in kids' church or whatever I'm doing, but I just had this moment of time where I just felt the intimacy. It's probably not what you want the preacher to say, right? <laughs> I felt so far away from God. Not currently. But, uh, in this moment of time, I was just like, you feel so far away. Like I can't, like I'm trying, but I can't quite get to you. The thing I've always loved about, about God when you, when, you, when you spend time with, with God, when you sit down, like I've, I've always been overwhelmed by his grace. You know, you, you, sit, you sit down, I don't know about you, I'm, I am <clears throat> not a morning person, so my quiet times are at the end of, end of the day. And I sit down after the day's been mad, it's been busy, there's been a million things to do. Um, and I ordinarily are just overwhelmed by his grace for me. You know, all the things that I've done wrong in the day, all the things that I've messed up, all the things that I've... The tiredness or the, the craziness of life. I just have always felt I was so overwhelmed by his grace every time I sit in his presence. Um, but at that time in my walk with God, I just felt like that wasn't there. Like, his presence was just so far away and I, I wasn't quite sure how to reach it. Because you know what? You can drift while still being connected. Yeah. You can drift from anyone, people, but also God, while still being connected. The cord can stretch, you know, so we drift and we don't realize we're drifting because we're still connected in a way. And we drift and we drift and we drift until the cord gets so tight and we either realize or it breaks. That happens in our human relationships, 
It happens in our relationship with God. We can, we can that, that, that cord can only go so far before it needs to retract or snap. And we can, we can still be connected to God while also drifting. So anyway, let me, real, let me explain. I was reading uh, in Daniel, and I was hit square in the face with these two words. Daniel's chapter 1 to 6. If you read them one after the other, I was reading them, and I was like, wow, they've got real short-term memory loss. You know, like, it's like in one chapter they're like, oh, yeah, Daniel's God reigns. We should totally worship him. And then the next chapter they're like, uh-uh-uh. And they're like, oh, yeah, his God reigns. We should totally. But actually, the, those six books of the Bible, I, I looked it up, those six books of the Bible uh, apparently spanned over about 70 years there are six major events in those chapters and four kings come and go. So, you know, there's a lot of, lot of things happening in that time. Today, my message is focused on an event in Daniel 3, which, if you've been in church for a while, you will know the story, but I'm going to read it for all of you that haven't. Uh, so bear with me, because I'm actually going to read a bit, because I've thought about cutting it down and just telling it to you, but I think, you know, for some reason, God tells it better. <laughs> King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue, 90 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide, and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then he sent messengers to the high high officers, officials, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the province officials to come to the dedication of the statue that's set up. So all of these officials came and stood at the statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. The herald shouted out, people of all races, nations, language, listen to the king's commands. When you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zinfa, the lot, the musical instruments, <laughs> bow, to the, bow to the ground and worship King Nebuchadnezzar's statue. Anyone who refuses to obey will immediately be thrown in the blazing furnace. So on the sound of the musical instruments, all the people, whatever their race, nation, language, all bowed down to the ground and worshipped the gold statue of King Nebuchadnezzar that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. But some of the astrologers went to the king and informed him of the Jews. He said, King Nebuchadnezzar, long live the king. You issued a decree requiring the people to bow down to the golden statue at the sound of the instruments. That decree also states that if you refuse to obey, you must be thrown in the blazing furnace. But there are some Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom you have put in charge of the province of Babylon. They pay no attention to your majesty. They refuse to serve your gods and do not worship the gold statue you have set up. King Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage and ordered Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to be brought before him. They were brought before him. They were brought in. Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods or worship to the gold statue I have set up? I will give you one last chance to bow down and worship the statue I have made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. But if you refuse, you will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace, and then what God will be able to rescue you from my power? It's a bit of a challenge, right? It's probably his downfall. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, The God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, we will never serve your gods or worship and bow down to the statue you've set up. 
Nebuchadnezzar was so furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that his face became distorted with rage. He commanded the furnace be heated seven times hotter than usual, and he ordered some of the strongest men in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them in the blazing furnace. So they tied them up and they threw them in the furnace, fully dressed in their pants, turbans, robes, and other garments. And because of the king and his anger, he had demanded the furnace to be so hot, the flames killed the soldiers as they threw the three men into the fire. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, securely tied, fell into the roaring flames. But suddenly, Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement to exclaim to his advisors, didn't we tie up three men and throw them in the furnace? Yes, your majesty, we certainly did, they replied. Look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men unbound, walking in the fire, unharmed, and the fourth looks like a god. Then Nebuchadnezzar came close as he could to the door, with the flaming furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come here. When I was reading that this morning, I was like, so they could have just walked out at any point, but they didn't until they were told to, which I thought was interesting. Side thought. It's my spaghetti thought. (laughs) So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stepped out of the fire and the high officials, governors, advisors, crowded around them, saw the fire, had not touched them, not even a hair of their heads, was singed, and their clothing was not scorched. They did not even sn- smell like smoke. So then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent an angel to rescue his servants who trusted him. They defied the king's command and are willing to die rather than serve or worship any god except their own. Therefore I make a decree. If any people, whatever their age, race, sorry, their rage, race, nationality or language, I was doing so well, Speak a word against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They will be torn. He obviously didn't learn his vindictive ways. Maybe we're not the way of God. But anyway, they will be torn from limb to limb and their houses will be burned to rubble. Someone's got a little bit of rage. There is no other God who can rescue like this. The king then promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to an even higher position in the the province of Babylon. So... The thing about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is that that's not their original names. Those are the names that Nebuchadnezzar gave them. Their names were Hananiah, which means Yahweh is gracious, Michelle, which means who is what God is, and Azariah, who Yahweh helps. But Nebuchadnezzar changed their names and gave them Babylonian names. The king removed their names that honoured God and gave them names that honoured other gods. I didn't bother writing down what they were, but, but they did honour other gods. He could change their names, but he couldn't change their hearts. He could change their names, but he couldn't change the heart that served a living God. What about our hearts? The bit that hit me in that story, you know, I've always focused on that story as like, oh, they they were in the furnace and and God was with them and they came out unharmed. But the bit that hit me when I was reading that was the even if. As I pondered over it and was overwhelmed with the declaration that came with me, I said to God, it was was really a moment for me in my walk with God where I said, God, even if... Even if I never hear your voice again, I'm still going to worship you. Even if you never answer another prayer, I'm still going to worship you. Even if I never feel your presence close again, I'm still going to worship you because I know you are faithful. I know, I don't need to feel his presence to know he's here. 
We're all about how we feel and what's going on, but actually, we don't need to feel his presence. We can trust in faith that he is there. We're so busy often focusing on the fire that we're in that we don't notice that Jesus is walking with us. We're so busy focusing on the fire, thinking that we're bound and burning, but actually we just need to walk through the fire. Didn't you say the other week, Tom, listening to the message the other week, you know, if you're walking in the fire, don't stop, just keep walking. Yeah. Three proclamations the young Hebrew men declared, which I think can change our perspective and our faith. One was, our God is able to deliver us. He is able. The second proclamation they made is he will. He will deliver us from your hand. He will. And the third declaration was, but even if not, I will still not bow to your idols. Do we have that faith? My God can. He has the power. My God will. He has love and kindness for me. He will surely will. But even if not, which is God's sovereignty, even if not, I will worship him and no other. An unswerving, unwavering conviction that the God of the Bible, in the God of the Bible, confidence that God is who he says he will, is and will do what he says he will do. Faith was revealed by their reliance upon the only God who had the power to deliver him. Nebuchadnezzar wanted them to bow to this God or that God. They wanted, he wanted them to bow, but they would only bow to the God that had the power to deliver them. There's a song called Even If by Mercy Me, and it, the, I was listening to it this week, and the chorus part of it goes, I know you are able, I know that you can, save through the fire by your mighty hand, but even if you don't, my hope is in you alone. A little faith to move a, a little faith to move a mountain, but God, when you choose to leave, leave the mountains unmovable, my hope is in you alone. Psalms, Psalms seventy-one verse five says, "My hope is in you alone." Even if God, you don't rescue me. Even if you don't answer my prayer, even if things don't pan out how I want them to, how I think they should, even if things are not ideal, I'm still going to make a stand for him. I'm still going to serve him. I'm still going to love him. But do you know what happens regularly? When we make a stand, we think, God will surely rescue me now. But often when we make a stand, the the pressure goes up. The heat gets turned up. It happened for Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. They, 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 in the face of the fiery furnace, stood were threatened with the fiery furnace, like, bow down or you'll go in here, which I would suggest wouldn't be a flash thought. And they say, we will not bow down to your gods. And then what does Nebuchadnezzar does? He turns up the heat seven times hotter. Fire is deadly for some. The soldiers are an example. But when we put our faith and our trust and our hope in God, 
He will bring us through. We will not be burned. But even if... We often expect the miracle outside of the fire. We expect God to save us before things get bad. But sometimes for this situation, sometimes for us in this time, the miracle is in the fire. He won't necessarily save you save you from the fire, but he will bring you out. He promises in Isaiah 43, 1-2, walk through the fire and not be burned. We can walk through the fire and not be burned. Struck by the fourth man in the fire. The presence of Jesus changes everything. Sometimes it doesn't change the circumstances. The presence of Jesus in the fiery furnace didn't make the fire go out. The presence of Jesus changed that they didn't get burnt. The presence of Jesus doesn't always change the circumstances, but if we allow, it will always change us. His promise is that he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. You will never be abandoned. You will never be alone. They were unbound and unharmed but in the presence of Jesus. But they were still in the fire. (laughs) They were unbound, unharmed, but they were still in the fire. And I know that, you know, there are many people that think, oh, well, I'm a Christian, everything should be sunshine and roses. It's not, because we still live a life in a broken world. We're still sinners in need of a saviour. But we can be unbound and unharmed, but still in the fire. Chains break, chains are burnt when we're in the fire. He didn't promise it wouldn't be hard, but he did promise he would be there. This is the other thing I feel like this to say for one, someone particular, is that he promises he will be there, but we're not always necessarily going to feel like he is. He promises he won't leave us, but in our brokenness and in, the way, in this world, we might feel like he has. And that's where our even if faith comes in. God, I, I don't feel like you're in me, with me in this fire, but I know that you are because your word says you will never leave me, you will never forsake me. And we can stand on his promises. You know, there are still martyrs that die for their faith today in the world. They die for their stand for Jesus. God does not rescue them. I mean, not that I'm telling God what to do, but don't you think it'd be cool if he did? (laughs) Don't you think that, imagine the persecutors and the people that are are killing them for their faith. Imagine they had a King Nebuchadnezzar moment. Imagine how the world would change. Imagine that blowing up on social media. You know, they're filming an execution and all of a sudden they're unbound, they're unharmed, they're in the fire and Jesus is there and it gets broadcast everywhere. Imagine it. I've got theories on why that hasn't happened yet. Not sure that we're ready. But anyway. (sighs) 
Martyrs are still being martyred for Jesus. <clears throat> they're still walking through the fire and they're not being rescued, but they're doing it with Jesus with them. Even if you don't, God, you are still faithful all my days. Faith that God has a bigger picture, that he has a reason for the things that are happening in the world, in your world, in your life, in your family, in your children's lives, in your town, city, country, world. We need to have faith that he has the, a bigger picture. He has the reasons for saying not yet to a prayer. He has reasons. And for us to be able to sing, it is well with my soul. Even if you don't, it is well with my soul. Job 13, verse 15, though he may slay me, yet I will hope in him. One of my teenagers read that and they're like, slay, because I don't know if you know many teenagers, but they're like, slay queen. I don't think they mean the same thing. <laughs> I was like, see, God said slay before you did. <laughs> Our relationship with God isn't meant to be conditional on what he does for us. True devotion to God comes from a deeper place of love, commitment, and true faith. I don't know about you, but don't you feel like the Blenheim weather has become quite subtropical, like monsoonish? Very Auckland. Very Auckland. It's true. Auckland is also having the same weather. Uh, last Sunday, we were, we were all outside. A lot of the dream teamers at Servant Church were all outside. It's not good for you to take the timer away, by the way. <laughs> They've taken the timer away. Um, uh, we were all outside having this afternoon tea situation and uh, we all finished up, we cleared everything in and then all of a sudden the heavens opened. <sighs> um, Sue sent me a picture of Tom, you know, mopping a video of Tom mopping out the, the garage as the water was running in. I went to the supermarket and I literally just got out of the car and I stood under the cover and then, <clears throat> and I was just like, me and like 10 other people standing there and there's a whole about bunch of people standing outside the supermarket because there's that bit that's not covered. And we're just standing there like, oh... Really? Like, I'm in jandals, and the water is running over my jandals, right? I'm like, I get into the supermarket. In the end, had to make a run for it. Get into the supermarket. I, I ring my house and say, I'm at the supermarket. Can you just check if we've got this and this and this? Because I can't remember what I'm there for. And I said, can you, uh, uh, have you bought the washing in? Because all the school uniforms were on the line. Have you bought the washing in? Because it's, you know, raining. And they're like, it's not raining here. If you know where I live, I do not live far from the supermarket, like, at all. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, I just couldn't. Anyway, I got in my car and I drove home. There's literally a line on a street, off my street, yeah. where the rain was there, like, monsoon type of rain, and there was no rain here. The rain never came to my house. There was no rain at my house. The reason I'm saying that is because sometimes we can feel like we're in the heaviest rain, the biggest storm in our lives, but actually the next place God wants to take you is sunshine. The next time that place that God wants to take you could be sooner than you think. Just because it's so stormy here doesn't mean that there isn't something very good right around the corner. Samuel 2 verse 24 to 20. Samuel 2, chapter 24, verse 24. I will not sacrifice the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. 
It's easy to praise God for his faithfulness and his goodness when things are going well. It's easy to praise God, to lay down our lives, to worship him, to honour him when, when life is sunshine and roses. That's easier. But when you stand before God and you offer him everything that you have and it costs you, I really believe that's where the miracles happen. I really believe that's where God really honours that. Not that he doesn't honour it when it's sunshine and roses, but when it costs us. When we say, I'm going to offer my life to you, God, and it costs me something. What does an even of faith look like? When my kids were little, they used to say, start a lot of questions with what if. What if the car breaks down? What if we miss the bus? What if we're late? What if nobody likes me? What if no one comes to my party? What if, what if, what if? And I can remember actually having the stage where they said it so much, I was like, no, I'm banning it. You're not allowed to say what if. We've got enough real problems to solve without solving all the ones that aren't real. <clears throat> but even as adults, isn't that what we do? What if I don't have enough money for that? What if my child gets a diagnosis that is incurable? What if I fail? What if I upset my friends? What if I never meet the one? What if God doesn't answer my prayer? What if, what if, what if? When we live in the realm of what ifs, thinking about what could happen, we're working, and then we work in the background to control everything that we can for this what if scenario. We're trying to live in and change the future. We're not living in the present. We're giving in to our fears. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and evidence of things not seen. Hebrews 11 verse 1. Looking forward to the future with faithful what-ifs. How would that change our lives? What if my neighbour gets saved when I share the gospel? What if I am healed? What if God answers that massive prayer? What if God really is a God that can do abundantly more than I could ask or even imagine? What if? That's biblical, by the way. Ephesians 3.20. A lot of you know the story, and I'm going to tell it very shortly because it's very briefly because I am. Uh, I've been praying for years and years and years. <clears throat> I don't know how many years, quite a few years, for there to be more than 300 kids at Super Kids each day. I mean, I've told Tom, I reckon we could still handle a lot more than that, but I think it's Tom that needs the stages. <laughs> I don't want to scare him too much. Uh, anyway, so I've been praying, and you know, we would get 290, 299 even. <laughs> And never 300. I was like, no, God, I want 300 every, every day in the whole program. And I've literally been praying it for years. And then just last week, because he just did it. Like, no big deal. Smashed it out of the park. He did it. I prayed it. I believed it. But he did it. A God that can do immeasurably more than we could ask or even imagine. I've got a new number now, by the way. <laughs> He did it to our light party too. Immeasurably more. How do we trust God in the present when things aren't going to plan and fears plague our lives? What if we change that one word, what if, to even if? The thing about the story of the fiery furnace is we always focus on that Jesus was there. But actually, we should be focusing on the bit that we can do, which is the even if. What if we lived our lives with an even if faith? And even if faith tethers us to God, no matter what the storm is, no matter what comes our way, we're anchored. The only kind of faith that gets us through hard times is an even if faith. Even if, T, 
teenagers, even if I fail my exams, which they're totally not going to, I know, but even if I fail my exams, yet I will trust you. Even if the doctor calls with a terrible diagnosis, yet I will trust you. Even if I lose my job, yet I will trust you. Even if my marriage fails, yet I will trust you. Even if I lose that friendship, I will trust you. Even if I can't pay my bills, I will trust you. Even if you don't answer my prayers, yet I will trust you. Even if anything, I will trust you. Our God can, and he will, but even if he doesn't, yet we will worship him. During um, the worship, I just, um, I really felt like there is um, one person, maybe, or a few, that um, the terminology I, I felt or heard was um, <coughs> um, holding God to ransom. You know, sometimes we're like, God, I will, I'll serve you if you do this. I'll only serve you if you tick all these boxes and cross, dot all these I's and cross all these T's. And it's kind of like we're holding God to ransom. But I just felt like, it's kind of like, oh, what he has for you if you would just say even if. God, this thing I've been holding before you that I've been, uh, that's been holding me back, what if you just said, even if, God, that doesn't happen? yet I will trust you. I believe that God has so much more in store for you if you will just let go. Yes, it might hurt. Yes, it might be the fire. But he's with you in the fire. And he knows what the future holds.